0: Good morning, Mars Hill. We will be reading uh, from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, if you want to turn there with me. That is page 589 in the Shed Bible. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gate leading into the city, at the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humankind. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. Uh, my name is Troy. Happy to be one of our co lead pastors here. We're going to keep going in this summer series of ours, as Denise already gave you a glimpse, this Mars Hill mixtape. We're doing our best to encounter a wide swath of the Old Testament, which is a lot to do in 12 or 14 weeks, but we're going to encounter bits of the Old Testament. I want to remind us we're Just over the halfway point, I want to remind us where we began and sort of bring us back to the framework that Tim Nelson gave us as a recommendation for how we together this summer might encounter the Old Testament. So he encouraged three things. First, encouraged us to be on the lookout for theological witness. One of the questions that comes with this is, what does the story that we're looking at, how does the text that we're looking at... um, Speak to us about humanity's encounter and relationship with God. That could be one of those questions. Second, be on the lookout for invitations to participate. How is this story, and how is, through this story, how is humanity invited to participate with God in things like justice, and in restoration, and in hospitality? And then finally, approach this book with curiosity, with an openness, an openness that recognizes we don't know everything, or frankly, we don't know very much at all. And as we bring ourselves to this text, let's be open, submit ourselves to this living and active word. That's how we began. We want to continue to carry that over, and today we're going to turn our attention to Proverbs and to this collection, this part of the Bible called the wisdom books or the writings in the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament. We haven't spent very much time here. Tim brought us into the book of Job. Last summer, we dwelt in the book of Psalms for the whole summer, but we haven't done much work here. We haven't done a lot. So I'm going to today try my best to to be really, really broad and over time get increasingly narrow and more and more focused. So that's sort of the trajectory of these next couple minutes. Uh, Let's begin here with a little sampling Of the kind of content you can come across in the book of Proverbs. Depending on how you count, there are about 900 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs in just 915 verses. It's a lot. And um, it's one of these books, it's kind of a crazy book. It's a book that seems to try to uh, address virtually every situation you might come across. So I want to do a really fast drive-by. Maybe this is like an amuse-bouche as before we get into the meal. Um, First, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. A proverb for the vegetarians in the room. Yeah? Gray hair is a crown of splendor. You're welcome. The book of Proverbs has nothing to say about baldness, unfortunately. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. Keep that one locked away. Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Quarrelsome husband counts as well. Any type of quarrelsome spouse, better to live on the corner of a roof. Whoever winks with their eye is plotting perversity. Keep those facial expressions in check. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. And all people who struggle with the morning say, amen, right? Amen. It's a strange book, Proverbs. The bulk of Proverbs is attributed to a guy called Solomon. Denise already gave us a little glimpse. We learn in 1 Kings 4 that Solomon, Solomon was given wisdom by God. And he was given a wisdom that was like a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He was wiser than anybody else. He spoke about 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote tons of songs. He would have been a returning Jeopardy! champion proverbs or uh, proverbs solomon knew about everything plants trees all kinds of animals people from all over the known world they came to learn from solomon and solomon became king in 970 bc so these proverbs the bulk of the proverbs that we're looking at in the book of proverbs they're really really old and while the subject matter is all over the place, as we saw in that quick drive-by, the subject matter is everywhere. Proverbs is consumed with wisdom as its subject. It continually comes back to wisdom. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, it's the word hakmah. Can you say hakmah? Hakmah. And in English, that means wisdom. Yes. Um, no surprise. It's wisdom. Hakma, and this word, conceptually, it's more than just mental. It's more than just intellect, it's more than just smarts. Hakmah, wisdom includes action. You might say this: that wisdom is, is, is like applied knowledge. It's not just acquired knowledge. You might think of it like this: Acquired knowledge is knowing why snow is yellow. Applied knowledge is knowing that you don't eat yellow snow, right? That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing you don't eat yellow snow. You apply the knowledge. You put it into practice. It's really practical. Hakma is the kind of stuff you find all over Proverbs, and it's applicable. It's useful. One theologian calls Proverbs practical skills for living in God's world. And one of the way to think about proverbs is that these are invitations. Proverbs is a book full of invitations. It's and it's one of the things we're on the lookout for, right? Invitations to participate. Proverbs is an invitational book that says, "Come and learn wisdom from all these previous generations," because proverbs is accumulated knowledge. These collections of short sayings. Um, they're accumulated over loads and loads of generations in the language of our core values at Marshall Bible Church, our directions. This might connect with our backward direction. Again, Denise has been teasing this out for us already this morning. We want to be informed by the past so that we can better know where it is that we're going. And so we're invited to learn from all of these previous generations. And we need this ancient wisdom. We are desperate for this ancient wisdom because there are so many voices trying to speak to us. One of the questions that constantly being asked in the book of Proverbs is who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? So, big wide perspective, Proverbs. Very, very brief, very, very surface level, but Proverbs is old, it's practical, and it's accumulated knowledge. And I want to spend a couple minutes telling you what Proverbs is not, okay? Proverbs is not, first, good advice. And here's what I mean by that. Proverbs is not good advice because there is so much more at stake. There is so much more at stake than that can simply be addressed by good advice, words that you could just take or leave. The narrator throughout the book of Proverbs is constantly stressing how important it is is to listen. Constantly. It's an importance that's being set up all the time by all these dichotomies. There's this dichotomy. The one who listens is wise, and the one who doesn't listen is foolish. There's a choice constantly being made. You can choose wisdom or you can choose folly. And then to stress it even more, this is the one who listens to wisdom finds life. But the one who listens to folly finds death and destruction. That's a lot. Those stakes are really high. That's a big deal. And one of the challenging questions, again, that Proverbs poses to us, people who are centuries separated from this ancient Near Eastern mindset. But one of the questions I think that Proverbs puts in front of us is this. Do you believe the stakes are high? Do you actually believe that the choices you make Who and what you choose to listen to matters. Do you believe the stakes are high? Could our choices actually lead us down paths of life or paths of death? And if we believe the stakes are high, then I think it's safe to say that we need more than just good advice. Okay, finally, Proverbs is also not a guarantee. Proverbs is not a formula for success. These brief little lines that we find scattered throughout Proverbs, it could be easy to look at them like a kind of moral arithmetic. Do A, do B, and you get C every single time. But that's not what Proverbs offers to us. The Bible project It's something that as a teaching team, we like to to resource every so often. They use really helpful language talking about Proverbs. And they say that what we get in Proverbs is is more like probabilities. That Proverbs offers up probabilities more than it offers up promises. That, That whoever put together this collection of Proverbs, and it's multiple people, whoever put this collection together knew just as well as you and I know that life is really unpredictable that life is really complicated, that it's hard to predict, that life most of the time doesn't follow logical if-then statements. Two simple examples. Proverbs 13, 21 says this. Trouble pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good things. Is this a guarantee? Can anyone imagine situations and scenarios where this doesn't actually get lived out in fact doesn't it feel like a lot of the times it's the exact opposite doesn't it feel like the sinners are rewarded and good people are pursued by trouble one more More familiar, Proverbs 22:6, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Too many of us in this room know far too well that that is not an ironclad guarantee. That's not a promise, that's a probability. there are just too many variables. Life's too unpredictable. These Proverbs, they deal, they deal with and they highlight general rules. In general, certain behaviors yield certain outcomes. So Proverbs doesn't deal with the exceptions. That's why we get Job. That's why we get Ecclesiastes. Those are books that help to round out overall biblical wisdom. Proverbs deals with generalities, with probabilities. Proverbs is not good advice. Proverbs is not a guaranteed formula for success. All right, I'm going to narrow a little bit more. We're doing a quick drive-by. You okay? Narrowing a little bit more. I want to, f- I want to focus on the big ex- obsession of the book of Proverbs and talk a few minutes about wisdom. Wisdom... It's practical and mysterious. Just like I talked about the book of Proverbs in general, um, wisdom names what is really important, and then wisdom also leaves a bunch of stuff out. Wisdom advocates for the pathways that lead to life, but wisdom also doesn't answer everything. It doesn't address all the possibilities. Wisdom leaves a lot of things unanswered, leaves a lot of things unaddressed. It's mysterious and it's practical. The text that Nikki read for us a couple minutes ago, Proverbs 8, it keeps filling in the outlines of wisdom. Verse 1 said, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? So we learn again that wisdom is calling out. Wisdom takes initiative. Wisdom doesn't wait to be asked for. Wisdom doesn't wait to be requested Wisdom, the the idea here is that wisdom is active, that wisdom is proactive, that wisdom is not passively responding whenever we get our acts together and realize that we need a little bit of it. Keep going. Wisdom is available. Verse 2, at the highest point along the way where the paths meet, Wisdom takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, wisdom cries aloud. Wherever humans work and play and gather, wisdom is there. Wisdom makes herself known. Wisdom is not hiding. Do you hear me? Wisdom is not hiding. (laughs) Wisdom is out in the open. Everywhere available. And then verse 4. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all humankind. Wisdom is for everyone. Wisdom is for everyone. Wisdom is not restricted to the elite. It's not restricted to those who have graduate degrees. It's not restricted to the privileged. Wisdom is for everyone. And this is such good news It's such good news that wisdom is not exclusive because we are increasingly familiar and unfortunately increasingly comfortable with being in a society that seeks to stratify people at every possibility, at every level. And for wisdom to be for everyone, to be generously available to all is such good news. In his classic work, uh, I think you should say his name, John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin said this in his classic work. There are innumerable evidences, both in heaven and on earth, that declare God's wonderful wisdom, and there is no one, no one to whom the Lord does not abundantly show his wisdom. So Proverbs 8, highlighting for us that wisdom calls out, takes initiative, is available everywhere and available to everyone. But maybe, maybe just a little bit less directly. That's in the first four verses. The second half of Proverbs 8, which we didn't hear, it stresses something even more important. And that's where I want to camp the rest of the time, that wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person. Ultimately, wisdom needs to be understood as more than just a moral calculation. And wisdom needs to be understood as more than just an ethical target. That wisdom is a person. Now, before I cover the end of Proverbs 8, let's just think about what we've already seen, that, how wisdom is described, and ask this question, does this sound like Jesus? Wisdom is, Jesus is, practical and mysterious. I think if you read through the Old Testament gospel books, we find so many of the teachings of Jesus are practical. How do we deal with our enemies? How do we love our neighbor well? What does it mean to be a wholehearted disciple? And yet, then Jesus also chooses to instruct and to teach using parables, this sort of close cousin to a a proverb, and he uses these parables, and they're mysterious, and they're hard to understand. Nobody gets it, and Jesus prefers to teach that way. What is is that about? Even some of the ways that Jesus behaved, really mysterious. Why did he wait so long to come and see Mary and Martha when Lazarus was sick? Why did he curse a fig tree? Why did he just generally act? in ways that were the opposite of what people expected and were looking for. Mysterious and yet practical. Jesus is calling out In addition to literally calling people in the Gospels, when he called the disciples to follow him, when he called Zacchaeus to come to dinner, when he called people generally to come and repent, in addition to those literal callings, Jesus was constantly taking the initiative. And that's the point here that I want to emphasize. Constantly taking the initiative. That Jesus was proactively engaging all who had ears to hear and all who had eyes to see. confirms that Jesus is available everywhere for everyone. Now, Jesus was obviously bound by a physical body. He was only able to be in one place at one time. He had a really limited range during his earthly life. But Jesus went to so many places that the religiously serious people would not go And Jesus spent time with so many people that the religiously serious would not have considered worthy. That Jesus was everywhere and for everyone. The early church preachers and theologians, they understood Proverbs 8, that it was ultimately pointing to Jesus as the perfect embodiment of wisdom. Practical Mysterious, taking the initiative, calling out, available everywhere and to everyone. And then to stress even more, they looked at the end of Proverbs 8, starting at verse 22, to say Jesus, like wisdom, has existed for all eternity. The Lord, this is at the end of verse, uh, Proverbs eight 22, wisdom starts talking. And wisdom claims, I have, have, have existed for all eternity. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be before there were mountains, before there were hills, before there were dust on the earth. I was there. I was there when the heavens were set into place, when the boundaries were established, when seas and clouds and horizons came to be. Wisdom was constantly at God's side. That's Proverbs 8. And that is pure poetry and only poetry if we understand wisdom as some kind of formless intellectual force or if we understand wisdom as simply an ethical framework, but if we understand wisdom as a person, if we understand wisdom as perfectly embodied in Jesus, well, then we read this so differently and we find resonance all over the New Testament. The Gospel of John if you ever want to have a great conversation with Pastor Denise, by the way, talk about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uses this language In the beginning was the word. Sounds a lot, like, a lot like Genesis 1 at the very beginning of the Bible, right? Sounds a lot like Proverbs 8 as well. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians. Paul says this. He uses this language to describe the Son of God. He describes Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is before all things. Hebrews, a real tough nut to crack. But Hebrews starts this way. God speaks to us by, or God speaks to us in his son. The son through whom God made the universe. One last one. Are you starting to get the picture, by the way? One last one. Paul makes this exclusive claim in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, there is but one God, the Father, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came to be. Wisdom is a person. And this theological conviction that Jesus is wisdom perfectly embodied with God from the beginning, we receive that in the Nicene Creed. This inheritance that was codified for all worshipers for the rest of time that affirms that Jesus is before all ages, begotten and not made. Through whom all things were made. Wisdom is a person. Okay, so why on earth does any of that matter other than for good Bible study fodder for the future? Can I give you three invitations? Three invitations for why I think this matters to us in the summer of 2023. First invitation is this be careful. Be careful. I think one of the underlying desires of the narrator in Proverbs is that the one who is listening would be careful because remember the stakes are high. That this is a matter of life and death. So we should be careful Maybe more proactive language, maybe more proactive language, be discerning. Jesus uses a similar language in his ministry. Similar impulse: Watch out. Be alert. Wake up, be awake. Be on guard. Friends and family, not everyone and not everything should be trusted to ensure your well-being and your flourishing. Be careful. Second invitation. Seek wisdom the person. I mentioned it before, but I want to stress it again. There There are so many voices... With so many motivations seeking your allegiance and your attention. It's never been easier to access content. There's never been a point in human history where there was so much available to so many people with such ease. And if we aren't diligent and if we aren't intentional, We might end up doing something like this. We might replace Jesus with supplemental sources of wisdom. Supplemental sources that aren't even necessarily all bad, but not the source, not the capital S source. Sources that are not the person, sources that are not wisdom perfectly embodied podcasts, books, sermons, devotionals, inspirational quotes, social media influencers, websites, video series, all of these have the potential, if we are not careful, to replace abiding in Jesus. If we're not careful, they have the potential to replace contemplative prayer. They have a potential to replace dwelling in the Scripture. They have a potential to replace seeking the presence of God. And I'm telling you from experience that it's really easy for me, it's really easy for me to read books about theology. And it's really easy for me to read church history and to totally neglect praying. totally neglect reading the Bible not as a source book but reading the Bible as a light unto my path it's sneaky and it's subtle but it happens it's it's Jesus adjacent (laughs) and that's what's so sneaky about it there's this super convicting moment in the gospel of John Once again, Denise, Jesus is having this conversation with the Jewish religious leaders, and he says these amazing words. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and then, and yet, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Isn't that amazing? They were diligently studying the scriptures and missing, missing the source, missing the life, missing the wisdom. And if these uber diligent Jewish leaders could miss seeking wisdom, the person, I think we should consider all of the ways that we allow supplementary sources of wisdom to become a replacement for Jesus himself. Final invitation, trust the abundance of Jesus. Remember that wisdom, especially wisdom perfectly embodied in the person of Jesus is everywhere and for everyone. And that means you. That means you in whatever situation you currently find yourself in. That means you. Wisdom is available to you. Wisdom is not stingy. And Jesus, as wisdom, perfectly embodied is not stingy either. Jesus says to ask, to seek, to knock. We're invited to proactively go for the thing that we need. We're invited to trust not only in the goodness of God, but trust in the sufficiency of the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So practically, practically, I want to ask, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to say yes to just a few of the opportunities that we have every single week when we come together to seek wisdom. We have these four prayer walls in this room, and we say it every week, but I want to stress it again. The invitation is for you. to put a prayer request onto a piece of paper, slip it into those cracks, and every single Monday we collect those prayers and we divvy up those prayers among our staff. And then our staff commits to daily praying for those. So every single week I get three or four of these prayers and I put them on my desk where I cannot avoid them, where I have to see them. And then every single morning, the first thing that I do is I come and I pray over every one of those prayers. And then they're there. So when I come back to my desk and I see them again, I call to mind again these people and these needs, and I do my best to hold them before the Lord. Every single service, there are some members of our prayer team who come willing to be present with us. Willing to intercede with us. Willing to pray for healing with us. Willing to seek wisdom for us. So I'm going to say this. If you're in a, in a season right now where you are eager for or you're seeking out wisdom, would you please say yes to these two opportunities? Would you express those prayers in some way and would you put them in the prayer wall that our staff might pray along with you? Write something down. Find one of these people who are generally over on this particular wall, whatever direction that is, over there, who are eager to be with you and who also believe and trust in the abundance of wisdom's availability to every one of us. Seek them out. Let them call with you. Let them call with you to the wisdom that is also calling out to us. And then while we're eating and singing and praying in these next couple moments, maybe consider this simple prayer. This is the most consistent prayer that I probably pray. It's just so simple. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to pay attention. Speak. Speak to me. And then maybe migrate that prayer over into the rest of this upcoming week. And carve out spaces so that you can actually listen. So you can actually listen for that still, small voice for the voice of wisdom that is calling out to you. And then let's come to this table together. And let's remember once again that our God is not stingy. That Jesus gave his very self so that we might have life. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And let's pray together in a spirit of thanksgiving. How right and good and a joyful thing it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And so we praise you and we join our voices with angels and archangels, the entire company of heaven who are forever surrounding your throne to sing this hymn of praise to bring glory to your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so would you, Holy Spirit, Come and be involved in this meal with us. Would you make of these simple elements spiritual food for us? Would these physical elements be for us wisdom and endurance and faithfulness and joy as we seek to follow after you, to walk in your ways? Lord, for your servants are listening. Feed us, Lord. Your servants, your people are hungry. Give us what we need. And we trust in you. And amen. This meal helps us retell the story of the night that Jesus was betrayed when he took bread and when he broke it and he said to his disciples, This is my body. And it's broken for you. So take it and eat it. And in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the new promise, the promise renewed in my blood. And so the invitation is to come and to take and to eat. And whenever we eat and we drink, we tell the story yet again of wisdom and love being perfectly embodied in Jesus. And so we come, we come to the source at this table to receive what it is that we need. And this gives us the opportunity to rehearse this story in these inherited phrases that have been passed down to us generation to generation, more accumulated knowledge. And so we speak these three phrases together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So come and eat come and sing, come and pray, come and seek the one who is perfect wisdom and come receive who you are, the body of Christ.